So moms, I don't know what the rest of your day may look like, but I want you to be encouraged and to know that God is with you, that he's for you and that he's in you. And allow his divine favor to rest upon you. Uh, thank you for being here this morning, and we trust again that you will be blessed uh, throughout this day. Uh, so we're going to be continuing in our journey through the letter of Second Peter, and this is a, a journey, again, it's being built on uh, our study of First Peter, which, as we said through that letter, we're seeing how Peter was calling uh, the Christians to stand firm, to be firmly established in their faith. As we moved into 2 Peter, we could see how, uh, how this letter is, is addressing and calling and equipping believers in Christ to be living forward, to moving forward in their faith. And sometimes as we read Scripture, uh, you know, certainly the chapters and the verses are helpful. It leads us to certain passages. They can be grouped in such a way that, uh, that it helps us to understand timings of things, groupings of subjects. And sometimes uh, we, we can get kind of lost, like the, the chapters and verses can be in division. So what I would like us to, to just be reminded of today is that this letter that we're looking at, we're in the second chapter, but what we're reading is part of a letter, that this would have been received by the churches as, as one letter. And I have uh, a, a set of, uh, of, of a volume of books that has scripture that's written that way without chapters and verses. And sometimes it's really helpful to read through in that way. So as we're looking at chapter two, we want to be looking at it in light of the fact that this is part of a letter. And as we studied the first part of the letter, if you remember, uh, in chapter one, you know, Peter was telling the Christians that, uh, that God's given you what you need. Like, you can be victorious, and here is how. He's giving you the, the power, his divine uh, nature to be within you. Uh, we were encouraged to grow in our, in our godliness and in our, in our love in so many ways to be pressing forward. He's telling us that, that we are equipped. We've been giving the word of God, and the word of God is trustworthy. We can stand on that word. And as we move into this next section of the letter, he's given us warnings. We're looking at chapter 2. We started last week. We're seeing that he's, he's focusing, he's drawing attention to false teachers that have and will be coming in to, to the church, and he's giving them instructions of how to recognize them, how to uh, know their message, how to stand against what's going to be coming against them, because the false teachers, their, their desire is really to destroy the faith, is take them away from faith in God. So uh, as Pastor Phil led us at the beginning of, of chapter 2 last week in this address uh, to the false teachers or concerning the false teachers, uh, he encouraged us not to entertain those that are trying to exploit us. To be careful for those that are bringing a proclamation of what they claim to be the gospel, but yet it's exploiting, it's taking advantage of. And, and that exploitation also goes into the world that we need to be careful of what is trying to take advantage of us because certainly in this culture, in this world, there are many that are trying to exploit us. So be guarded, be on your guard. But the second thing that, that he assured us is that God is not going to leave those that, that have sinned and are, and are in sin unpunished. That there is, that, that God is the final judge and there, there literally is a, an eternal damnation for those that are against God and have not yielded to him. So there is that assurance that God's going to take care of this ultimately. He's going to take care of those who are opposed to him and opposed to his body. The thing is, we also have an assurance that God is going to reward those that are faithful. And we're going to read next week that God's desires that none perish, but that all come to repentance. His heart is for Jesus Christ died that all can be saved. We're all part of that. And even those that are against him, that are teaching against him and, and hurting the body of Christ, God's desire is that they would be transformed. And he is powerful enough to do that very thing. So these are the, the things that we're going to be looking at as we continue to look at false teachers. We're going to see how they, again, are coming against the church. But as we look at it, we're going to find ways that we can uh, grow even as we look at these admonitions and these instructions and these warnings. So we're going to be going, going through uh, 11 verses. It's the second half of 2 Peter chapter uh, 2. And I'm going to be putting the verses up initially as we go through. But I want to encourage you to have your Bibles or your devices open because we're going to be referring back uh, to some scriptures as we walk through uh, this time together. So what I did in this, as I presented on the screen, is I've underlined uh, the things that the, the words that refer to they or to them. Because we're picking up again from where uh, Phil had left off last week, and when it's saying they or them, it's referring to false teachers, to those that are coming into the church and teaching things that are not true. So I'm emphasizing uh, those as we go through, and you'll understand a little bit more uh, as, as we walk, walk through this time. But the thing is, is that often we want to be careful about having a, a they and us or a them and me 
kind of mentality. Because that thinking can be very polarizing and it can create divisions. Uh, do you see, I'm sure that you do, that in our culture, uh, we see it in all kinds of places, in politics and in social life, how there is this polarizing of an us and them. That it's two different, very different perspectives. And when we're saying they and us, we're literally, uh, we're, we're making some good distinctions as far as um, possibly defining different beliefs or ideals. But we can also, when we do that, we can be dividing, building dividing walls that we can dehumanize. And I've been in conversations lately where, um, where there are people that are trying to help students uh, to be able to just sit down and have a conversation with people that disagree with them and not dehumanize them. And the challenge is that as adults, we often don't set a good example in this. That as adults, we can, um, we can just be in opposition and not, a, not, a lot, not be able to just sit down and, again, have civil conversation. So we need to be careful at times about the, the us and them or we and them but there's also a, a place where it is appropriate, again, as, uh, as Peter is going to be focusing on them going through this discussion. Now, what I'd like to do is tell you a story about an us and them that might help you uh, as we go through this passage. Uh, because when we look at an us and them, it's often when we're criticizing and we're coming against a them, that if, we're, uh, if we really open our hearts and our minds, we can realize that there are similarities between them and us that we need to see. Uh, there are things that we can, we can learn and that we can discern together. And some of the very things that we can be condemning about them can be present within us. Uh, so I want to flash back to um, Pizza Hut. You're thinking, okay, well, it had to be a little while ago because they've been closed here in town. Now, I want to really flash back. This is like four decades no, it's over four decades, when I was in high school and at Pizza Hut. So we, I remember distinctly this one night, and this was Pizza Hut on South Main Street, even probably it was almost new. It was, it was like that long ago. And um, I was there with some friends, and I'm not even sure how that conversation came up, but one of my classmates was there, and he had this car that he was really proud of. And um, I mean, just kind of the way I think he presented it. And I don't even know specifics, but this is kind of how you kind of have a sense. You can't remember exact words, but it's like, I think he kind of thought his car was like all that. You know what I mean? And like other people, I know what some of my other friends were saying. It's like, oh, that car's a dog. It's like, it's not that fast. It's not that, that powerful. Uh, but that's not what my friend felt. So for some reason, this is just really bizarre. And it's even more bizarre that I remember it. I called him out that night on his car. Like, it's like, you know, you're saying your car is all that, but you know, it, it's really not. And I was, I was giving him a hard time. And, uh, and again, it wasn't in a mean way, but it was like, I think the reason I remember it is because uh, I, it was a they and me, it was a him and me. It was like this dividing kind of thing between us. So here's the thing, is that the reality is I really didn't have any room to call him out. Because, okay, my car, I really thought my car was nice, Okay. It was red, the GT, black stripes. It was only four cylinders, a four cylinder, four speed, and, and I, it could chirp in second gear. I mean, like, you know, I, it, it was, I had the wide, you know, 50s on the back with a, the air, you know, air shocks that had it raised up a little bit, and, and I ran it pretty hard. Um, sounded good, it had a glass pack on it. Uh, in fact, I gotta, okay, I gotta, I gotta tell, I gotta tell a mom story about this car. So, um, <laughs> My mom wanted to learn how to drive in snow. She was asking her teenage son to teach her, okay? So um, now, rear-wheel drive, so I mean, I knew like, you know, do the donuts, you, you know, you, you learn that when it breaks out, it goes right, then you steer toward it to straighten it out. So I was gonna teach my mom this. So we go out to the Susquehanna parking lot in the back of the high school, snow on the ground, and I'm like, I'm showing her, you know, how to fishtail and how to come out of it and all that. And then we switch places. So my mom gets in the driver's seat of my car, and it's like, okay, mom, you got to get the back end to break out, you know, break, break traction. So, like, she's, like, accelerating and, whoa, and letting off, boom, 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 whoa, and, like, just accelerating and letting off. And it, she kept doing this. I said, mom, what are you doing? She said, I really like the sound of the exhaust, you know. It's like, so <clears throat> she was here at first service, and I don't think she's disowned me for second service. I asked permission before I shared this. But anyhow, so, I mean, I thought my car was pretty good. But the reality is, so I told you it was a GT. I didn't tell you. It was a Vega GT. Okay, so it was a good little car, it really was. But, but here's the thing, it's like I was calling my friend out on his car, like thinking his car is all that when it's not, and I was driving a Vega GT. 
Um, and we, we never raced that night. I think, I don't remember what we did. It was just, uh, I don't think, we never raced as far as head to head. I think we may have horsed around a little bit. Anyhow, I was pointing to him and calling him out on something that was in me. Okay, like he thought his car was all that when others didn't think it was all that. And the reality was I didn't realize I thought my car was all that and others were saying, your car's not all that. Okay. By the way, a person after second service came up afterwards and said, your car was all that. He collects, he owns a couple of Vegas still. Nice. Anyhow, so that's the they and the us, the they and the me thing. So like when we look at a they, it's a really good idea to say, okay, what am I seeing in them that, uh, that maybe truly isn't good, but does it exist in me? You know, do I have clarity to see in somebody else when I'm not having clarity to see in me? Now, I'm certainly not saying, uh, pointing a finger and saying, you guys are all false teachers and I hope you realize it this morning. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But there are things that we look at false teachers that we can see in their lives that can be present in ours to some extent. And we want to allow the Word of God to speak to us and to show us those very things. So we're going to read down through, and again, I have emphasized uh, in, in the passages here uh, the these and the theys and the thems, because I want you to understand this is talking about false teachers. Every time it's saying that, it's addressing the false teachers. So we're going to read down through the 11 verses, and then we're going to uh, dive in and uh, discuss how these things uh, need to bring light to us and to our lives. So Peter begins um, in verse 12 with, the, with this. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and the sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come together and to publicly uh, declare and to teach and to hear your word. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is powerful, it's active, it's living, it penetrates to the depths of our hearts. So God, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. God, help our minds to be open. God, open our ears that we would hear what you're speaking to us. And God, we thank you that, that your word brings transformation. Uh, so God, we yield to you and desire for you to do surgery on the innermost parts of our being, that we will be transformed and conformed more to the image of Christ. And we pray this for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last verse, verse 20, and that last portion, uh, a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now, I don't know if you realize, a sow is a pig who has had a litter. So that is the closest tie that we have to Mother's Day in this passage. So I'm not taking it any further. It's like, you know, when we do teaching, it's funny how we see alignment sometimes. Like, you know, Scripture, you know, the Scripture that we're coming to, wow, just fits with, what, you know, a certain happening. 
I looked, and that was as close as I could get. So this is not a Mother's Day message. Moms, we honored you. We thanked you. Um, so please don't take it any further than that. Um, we will come back to that verse, but again, this is no bearing on any mothers here today, okay? So we're going to go back to verse 12, okay? It does talk about animals, um, but uh, there's, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but as we went down through the passage, um, Peter uses animals several times through this passage, uh, again, as, as he's referring to false teachers. So he said that uh, in here in this first part, he says, uh, like unreasoning animals. Some translations uh, say brute beast. Okay, a little bit later when he talks about Balaam, he talks about the donkey that talked. And then again, those last Proverbs address a, a dog and a pig. Okay, but you know, the foundation that he's laying here right at the beginning is that he's, he's giving comparison that he's using uh, unreasoning animals as a description of what these false teachers are like. These people, these false teachers, blaspheme. Okay, they're, they're saying things that are not true. They're, they're speaking evil in matters that they do not understand. In fact, he says this, that they are like unreasoning animals. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed and like animals they will perish. So from this passage, I want us to take, again, the negative against them and find how we can, we can discover a positive application for our lives. And what I'd like to speak to is this, is that we need to remember how we are formed. Okay? These false teachers are being compared to animals of, of, of just following their basic instinct. But what we can embrace from this is that we need to remember how we are formed. Okay, so as we look at this, when we're saying creatures of instinct, what does it mean? It's mean it's, it's living on a spiritual or on a fleshly level by, by the basics of, of just nature. But yet they're speaking into spiritual things. Okay, so they're living in that base way by instinct, natural instinct, uh, even though they're speaking of spiritual things. So what does it mean to live by natural instinct? Uh, if we would apply that to our lives, living by natural instinct would, would be this. I just say whatever's on my mind. It's instinctive. It's reflexive. I don't need to process it. Um, if it feels good, if it feeds the flesh, do it. Why not? That's an instinctive way of living, okay? Uh, live as a survivor. Take what I need. It's kill or be killed. I mean, that's to an extreme. But that's the, the basic survival instinct. And just, again, simply follow your basic desires, your, your natural desires, so that would be living as, uh, as, as a natural animal, following uh, the instincts. And when we look at other verses, we can see how this has application to people's lives. In Romans 1.21, Paul said this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So not acknowledging God, not remembering how they were formed, led them to this place of futile thinking. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, it says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. It's their appetites, their natural appetites. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then it, Peter says that their end is going to be like an animal, simply born, lives, and dies. I mean, it's sad because it's just living on a natural plane, totally missing what is so much greater. Now, while Peter says that this is the outcome, that's not, his, that's not God's desire nor his desire. Like, this is what happens if they stay on that natural fleshly plane. It's born, live, and die. But the thing is, as we, as we remember from last week, we don't just die, we're eternal beings. If we die apart from Christ, there's an eternity of damnation to pay. But next week, we're going to read that God's heart, God's desire is that none would perish, none would die that way, but all would come to repentance. That through Christ, God is desiring that all would have eternal life and come to know him and live in eternity with him. So when we look at living according to these basic natural instincts, don't we see this type of living in our world? Where people are living almost as animals, just by the flesh, by the, what, what is natural in their instinct. But think about it. As children, we're taught 
that we just came into being by chance. Things just kind of came together and they were formed not with a higher power, but just by nature. In fact, when you look back in your family tree, there's a monkey hanging there. Like, but this is what we're taught apart from a faith in God, is that we're descended from animals, and if we are descended from animals, what is the natural conclusion? That's what we are. So this has been ingrained in our society. It's been ingrained in our lives and, and labeled scientific as proof. But we need to remember how we are formed. We need to rise above it, and it comes from embracing the truth of the word of God. When we look at creation, we can see that, that there has to be a, a higher power. There has to be something and someone who has brought this together. You look at the miracle of who you are and how you're formed. You look at nature, and it all declares God. It speaks to, to a higher power. It speaks specifically to God. It brings revelation of who he is, and that's what we're called to. So instead of living like animals, we need to remember how we are formed. We need, need to allow the spirit of God to grow us into the likeness of God. Because scripture says that, that from the very beginning that mankind was formed in the image of God. And though we've fallen and we have a natural, our, our human nature, there's still the likeness of God. And, and regardless of, of, of who we're speaking of or who we're looking at, there are traces of the image of God in every person. You may have to look hard because we can get so consumed with living in the natural life, but there are traces of the image of God in every person. We have been formed in his image. So if we live remembering how we are formed, we will live again allowing the spirit of God to transform us more and more in the likeness of Christ. We'll speak words that are life-giving. We're gonna do things that are denying ourselves for the good of other people because we manifest the love of God. We have a love first for God and then for others. We have a fullness of life that comes. It's not living instinctually as animals, but we're living as creations of God. We're formed in his image and we're being transformed by his power and we find a fullness of life and we live with eternity in mind, knowing that we will all stand before God and we'll give an account for how we've lived. So we live seeing the bigger picture. We live understanding that we were formed by the breath of God, that he gave us natural life. He breathed into man, and man became a living being, a living spirit, and that the spirit of God comes into us as we are born again by the, by the power of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection, that we are given new life. It's literally his life is breathed within us. So we live in a completely different way than what these false teachers lived, and it's by remembering how we're formed. We're gonna look at the next group of verses, verses 13 and 19. I wanna uh, put up on the screen verse 19 as kind of the start and the foundation of our discussion of these verses. Verse 19, it says, they, again, remember, there's false teachers, they promise them freedom, those that they're, that they're speaking to, that they're trying to lead astray. They promise them freedom while they themselves, the false teachers, are slaves of depravity. For, and again, this is in quotes, it's the saying, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And from this, I'd like us to look at this, um, this truth, is that we need to understand that we are slaves. We need to understand that we are slaves. For, what's, the, what's that, that, that quote say? For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Do you, can you recognize that we are all mastered by something? that we are mastered by something. Somebody will say, well, I'm not a slave. Nothing masters me. I'm not a slave to, to anyone or anything. Well, they've, they can be slaves to themselves. We're a slave to whatever has mastered us. Now, what's going to happen is that Peter's going to go down through this, and he's going to explain that, that this is not a good, good thing in regards to these false teachers. Okay, because when it's, when it's a slave, like what they're doing, they're trying to set a bait. They're trying to set a trap so that people will be enticed by it, and when they reach out for it, they get hooked in, and then they're stuck. They're locked in. They can't free themselves. That's what the false teachers are trying to do. Uh, but you, we need to understand is that this idea of slavery can be a negative thing in our lives, that we can get caught in things, we can get stuck in things. So let me tell you a few things that we may say when we are slaves to something. 
some of the things we may say is this. I can stop anytime I want. A lot of times that's followed by, I just don't want to right now. Right? I can stop anytime I want. Another thing we can say when we're stuck in this place of being a slave, it's really not so bad. Don't we diminish just how bad it is? And then the classic that really helps us when we're stuck in these positions, well, everyone else is doing it. Don't we, don't we move to these lines of reasoning where we're trying to uh, deal with this, this fact that we're stuck in something, that something has a grip on us, that we're a slave to something? So what I want to do now is go through and, and, and look at as, as Peter's presenting these false teachers and the, what the way they're living, what they're saying, what they're doing, and uh, just get some insight as we look at, at what these teachers were doing. So it says again in, in verse 13, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. So what it's talking about is actually, um, again, the sinning just in front of everybody. Now, Scripture often talks about, uh, about sin being connected to darkness. Okay, now, so if we don't walk in the light, we're walking in darkness, and that's, that talks about sinning. But it also says that sin is often committed in darkness, that a lot of times sin wants to be cloaked. It wants to be hidden. When you look at a lot of things that are done wrong, things that shouldn't be done, whether it's illegal, immoral, whatever it may be, we have darkness connected to it. But what Peter's saying here is that these false teachers, they're literally carousing in broad daylight. They've taken what was done in darkness and they've brought it into the light and they're still doing it. Now, when I describe that, have I just presented a picture of American society and what is happening. And when I say that, I, I say that so that we, it brings revelation because just because something is seen doesn't make it right, mean it's right. In fact, sin is sin, whether it's in the dark or in the broad daylight. And God has defined what sin is because he knows how we were made. He made us and he knows what's good for us. And what is sin is that which is against his will and what is best for us. So I want us to remember this, that again, sin is sin, regardless if it's done in the dark or if it's clearly seen in the daylight. And God sees both, and he judges rightly. So these false teachers, again, they were carousing in broad daylight. In verse 14, it says that their eyes are full of adultery. And what this can be interpreted is that, like, literally what they're looking at is that when these, these men, these false teachers are looking, they're, they're seeing every woman as potential for, for sexuality and for sensuality, for immoral acts. Like, their eyes, they're, they're consumed. They can't see anything else. And this is these, these people that are leading other people astray. This is what's driving them. Also in that verse, it talks about being experts in greed. Now, this is talking that when saying experts in greed, it's almost as if an athlete has trained for an event. It's that kind of being an expert that they've trained. They become so, uh, so proficient at it that they're experts in greed. And that means taking something for themselves, holding on to it. And the thing is, is that, that what happens with that, it becomes whatever I have, it's not enough. Whatever I've grip, gripped onto, if it's not of God, if it's of the flesh, it's, going to, it's just going to say hunger more. It's, it's the, the law of diminishing returns. Is that I want, I long for more. Now, what greed can do, again, we see how it, it brings slavery. Uh, many of you have heard the, the trap. I don't know if I've ever seen a video of this, but supposedly with monkeys that you can trap them by taking like a gourd and putting something in there that that monkey wants. So he reaches in, he grabs it, and when he grabs it, the hole's not big enough for his hand to come out. And he literally is trapped, not because he can't get out. All he has to do is release what he's holding onto, and his hand would slide out but he's trapped because of greed. He's holding on to that so much that he will stay there until he is captured. And greed does that in our lives, is that we get hold and we, we hold on to and we won't let go, even though it's to our detriment, even though it's bringing bondage and it's bringing slavery. And then we move to verses 15 and 16 where it talks about Balaam. Now, Balaam was a, a, a man who listened to God, heard God's voice and proclaimed it. And what happened is Balaam, this is in Numbers 22 through 24, you can go back and read the story, is that Balaam was approached by ba Balak, who was king of the Moabites. 
Balak wanted a curse to be spoken against the Israelites because he was scared of them. There were so many, and he was concerned. So he calls on Balaam and and says, speak a curse over the Israelites. Balaam says, I can only speak what God tells me to do. I can only say what God tells me to say. So Balaam was taking taking a, a hard line, a good line. Uh, but what happened, there, there's, you can read through the story, but, but Balaam agrees to go to, to Balak, and on the way, three times his donkey stops, and, uh, you know, and literally comes to the place where Balaam said, if I had a sword, I'd, I'd kill you right here and now. And then all of a sudden, the donkey turns and starts talking to him. So, you know, you may not say this often, but like when we get up here, for us it's really encouraging because if God can speak through a donkey... There's hope here. But God spoke through a donkey. And that donkey could see what Balaam could not see, that the angel of the Lord was standing in front. And if the donkey had not done that, it would have meant Balaam's life. Anyhow, it seems like Balaam does a good thing because he then, you know, he's told to speak a curse, but he speaks blessing and he, he gives these seven oracles or the, these, these blessings that he speaks. Seems like it's all good, but what happened was and, and other scripture confirms this, is that, that Balaam's heart was toward money. He was greedy. He was longing. And he was given, giving way to things that were leading the Israelites away. In fact, in the next chapter, in chapter, Numbers 25, what did he do? He didn't speak a word against Israel, but yet he enticed the Moabites to lead the Israelites into idol worship into, into sensuality, to uh, the Israelites having sex with the, the Moabite women. And as a result of it, a plague came and 24,000 died in that plague. So what happens is that in Scripture, Balaam becomes almost this poster child for false prophets. Like he's, and, and he's killed in, in Numbers chapter 31. But he becomes this poster child for false prophets. And, and it's because, again, he, he was enticed. He was being drawn by things of the world. He was... He was in, in his heart, although externally he was, he was being obedient at times to God, his heart was longing for what the king could give him of riches. His heart was longing to have that position and to have that power. And we are warned that these false prophets are like that. They're willing to destroy people. They're willing to lead them astray in order to, to entice them and to, and to draw them in. And then finally, in verses 17 and 18, uh, false prophets are described as wells without water, which is actually springs that aren't, have no water in them at all. They should be flowing, but there's nothing there. As they're described as mist driven by storm. So it's like a cloud that's coming, and there's a hope of much-needed rain, and there's nothing there. They're, just, they're described as having boastful, empty words. So they're saying things, but there's just no substance to them. So these are false prophets. So when we get to verse 19... Again, what are they doing? They're saying, here's freedom, here's freedom. But if the freedom isn't in God, it's slavery. It becomes slavery to sin. So if I'm free to do whatever I want to do, if I'm free to live against the law of God, what I'm actually doing is stepping into bondage. And that's what they themselves were living in. Although they promised freedom, they themselves were slaves of depravity. Four, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So that's the negative side. That's how in all of our lives we can succumb to slavery if we give in to sin, if we give in to temptation, if we give in to things of the flesh, we can be in bondage. But praise be to God through Jesus Christ that he has called us to be slaves of righteousness. Being slaves of righteousness, being those that have surrendered their lives to God. So we're going to be mastered by something. We're going to be mastered by someone. Can I tell you what? The best one, the best something that we can be surrendered and mastered by is the living almighty God who has formed us. Amen? To, to be slaves of righteousness so that those things that have driven me in the flesh and the things that would hold me captive have, have lost their grip because now I've become a slave to righteousness. I want to encourage you to go read at home Romans chapter 6. And it talks about being freed from those things that would have us entrapped and stepping into this being slaves to righteousness and the life that comes through that, that um, being slaves of the Most High God. He is the perfect master. He is the one who loves you so much that he gave himself for you. He is the one that gives you power to do 
righteousness that you cannot do on your own. He is the one who has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. He is that one. He is the perfect master, the one that gives life as I surrender myself more and more to him. There's that life, that abundant life that comes as we grow as slaves to righteousness. And as slaves to righteousness, we have that promise of 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power, his power within us has given us everything we need for godly living, for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So as we move then from this section, we're coming to that final section. We're gonna look back at verse 22 again. Of them, this is speaking again, of the false prophets or of, of the false teachers, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And from this, I want to lead us to a truth, a positive truth that we can gain as we look at, this, at these last few verses and it's this, that we are called to embrace a life-giving faith. We are called to embrace a life-giving faith. So how do we go from a dog and a pig, to uh, embracing a life-giving faith. Well, what happens is that, um, that this, these Proverbs are given to wrap up a dialogue that Peter has about the process in the false teachers' lives. So I'm going to go back to verse 20. And these verses are often referenced in discussion uh, concerning eternal security. And what that eternal security speaks of is, is whether or not we can lose our salvation. So many times, again, this passage is one that is uh, brought up for debate or discussion uh, concerning whether or not we can lose our salvation. So verse 20, Peter says this, if they, these false teachers, have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. So this sounds like these people were in, like, you know, some of the, some of the words, knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, it would be better, better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. So there's this knowing, there's something, and, and then they've turned their back onto uh, against it, and, it's, and it would have been better for them never even to have, have tasted or to have known than to have known and then fallen back. So what does this say concerning our eternal security? I mean, it would appear that they had been saved, and then they lost that salvation. So from a, a Reformed perspective, a response could be, well, the reality is that they looked like it on the outside, but yet because they fell away, it means that they were never truly saved. From an Arminian uh, standpoint, the, the perspective would be this, is that, yes, they had been saved, they truly had been born again, but yet they turned their back, and then they lost their salvation. So where can we land on that today? Well, actually, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to let the teacher next week address this. So, yeah. No, there's something, there are a number of things that we can embrace strongly here and without controversy. And is this, first of all, only God knows the heart. You know, we, we want to try to have this assurance of is this person born again or are they not? There is fruit of living, certainly. We can say that, that you know, a person's life is showing righteousness or it's not. But God knows the heart. God knows what's inside. In fact, our own hearts can be deceptive. Do you remember part of Phil's testimony last week is that uh, for years he thought he was a Christian, but he wasn't living a Christian life, and it wasn't until a, day, a Sunday morning here in this, in this space that God brought revelations like, Phil, you need to be born again. You need to be saved. So even though he was under the impression that he was saved, he had not yet come to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So our hearts can even be deceived, but God knows. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, that God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. So God knows. I may think a certain way, I may believe a certain way concerning a person, but God knows. So were these false teachers, were they truly saved? God knows. Were they manifesting a belief and having a knowledge but not 
not saved or born again, God knows. So we can submit this to God and not have to have uh, arguments and discrepancies that literally can cause division within the body of Christ. We need to, to, again, trust that God judges rightly. He knows all. He loves all, and he's making a way, he, he's desiring, he's giving every opportunity for people to come to know him, and we can trust and we can release this to him. But as we go on, we can look at this and, 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 and look at it in our own lives. It's like, am I, am I, have I given myself fully to him? Do I belong to him? Is he my master? Is he my savior and my Lord? And God's desire is that all of us would not just answer yes, but live that yes. That we would embrace this life-giving faith. That we would move forward, living forward in this life-giving faith. So there's two things that we look at when we look at these Proverbs. There's an internal and an external. Okay? Externally, when things are changed, they can look good on the outside, um, but it doesn't mean that the nature was changed. So, in fact, well, let me, let me just dive into this. Okay, you ready for the picture? Let's just go there. So, the dog in that day was not like a household pet. A dog was a scavenger animal that would go through the garbage, and would, that, that's what they ate, okay? So, the dog of that day, when he's referring to it, was not like Fido that, you know, jumps up on your lap and and all that stuff. Okay, so so the dog was a scavenger. And this proverb says that a dog returns to its vomit. So the scavenger dog has eaten something in the trash that did not agree with his in, internals. So he vomits it up. What's bad inside comes out. Okay? But then the dog doesn't leave well enough alone. Okay, what's what needed to come out of the inside that wasn't good is now outside, but the dog goes to it. And, yeah, okay. I won't go any further. Read the scripture, okay? Dog returns to its vomit. And then the sow is cleaned up externally, washed, looks great, okay? Went to the farm show, won first prize. I don't know, some kind of ribbon. But it's a clean pig, still a pig, okay? So what happens is after it's clean, it goes back to wallowing in the mud. Why? Because it's a pig. That's what pigs do. It's their nature, so here's the thing is that we have a human nature that is still alive in us, even when we come to Christ. And until, you know, as that nature is being transformed, we're going to be shifting more and more from what that human nature, nature naturally does. But there's two parts to it. There's the internal and the external. The external can be reformed. It can be uh, changed externally. So maybe I'm walking the walk. Maybe I'm not doing the things I shouldn't be doing. Maybe I'm doing good things. But that's an external change. Okay? And that can revert back. It doesn't mean that the inside is, is cleaned up yet. Okay? Now, the other part is that when I recognize the sin that is within me, when I recognize that I've fallen short of the glory of God, and I confess, and I get that out, and I confess it to God, and he forgives me my sin. Okay, that's getting the inside out. But yet I need to be careful because my nature is still to go back to that. Right? Even though it's been, been brought out, like a dog returns to its vomit, I can be drawn back to that. But God wants to give me the power. God is here to give me the power so that once I get the bad stuff out of the heart, once I get the bad stuff out of the inside, he literally changes my desires. So you know, true holiness isn't just about, about living the right way and not doing the bad things and doing the good things. True holiness is about when God gets on the inside of us to the place where I stop desiring the bad. Like, like, that's progress. It doesn't mean we're not going to get there perfectly on this side of heaven. But, like, as we're surrendering to God, he literally takes what I used to want that is fleshly. He takes what I used to want that is of, the, of, of my human nature, of my base desires, and he changed my, changes my wanter. And that's what, what this proverb is talking about is, that, like, okay, these guys haven't gotten it. These guys, you know, they're, they're like the dog that's, that vomits and goes back to her, like the pig that gets clean and then rolls in the mud again. But that's not so with you. That God doesn't desire for you to do that. He's calling you. He's calling me to higher. He's calling you and I to deeper. That as I embrace this life-giving faith, I can have confidence that I am his. I don't have to worry about my eternal security. I can know that I know that I know that I know 
that I know that I know that I'm his. We can have an assurance, but here's what I would encourage you. Don't let the assurance of your salvation rest in the doctrine more than it rests in the person of Christ. I'm not saying that in condemnation. But like if, if I'm trying to find peace by believing a certain doctrine, I might find it, but it's not going to be lasting. But when I establish my peace based on the person of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can have assurance. God wants me to have that assurance. Whether my doctrine is in the end, when we get to heaven, I really don't think there's going to be two corners of heaven of those that were eternal security. <laughs> it's not going to be that way. I don't even think it's going to be a discussion. Honestly, I don't. The things of earth will just grow strangely dim. I think it's one of them. But the thing is, is that we can have this assurance now. An assurance that Jesus gave in John chapter 10 where it talks about no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Who is the them? It's the them is, the, is in verse 27. Here are those people that can have that confidence. Here are those people that can have that assurance. Here are those people that can know that they are, are held by Christ and held by the Father. It's these. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It's found in the person of Christ is that, that, again, my sheep, they're listening to the voice of Jesus. Jesus knows them, the personal relationship and there's intimacy, and they follow me, they're walking in my way. These are the ones that Jesus speaks the assurance to. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. We can have this assurance by growing and embracing life-giving faith, by walking forward, living forward in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And there's something else. There's a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. You go to Romans chapter eight. We have this assurance. This is not speaking, have you believed this doctrine that gives you peace? It's have you heard the Holy Spirit speak to you? Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16 say this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The relationship is this personal connection of a child to a parent, a son, a daughter to a father. And listen to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's a capital S Spirit, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And when you have that assurance from the Spirit of God that you are his, you are secure. You know that you are his. And when you're listening to the shepherd's voice and we are following after him, you have that confidence, you have that assurance that you are his. That's what God's desiring for each and every one of us. That's what he's desiring for each and every one of us, that we would embrace this life-giving faith. So if you've been in the faith, if you've come to him, I trust that you're embracing, that you're moving forward with him, listening, following in his way. Are you gonna do it perfectly? No. I hate to say it, but there are times that we all go back to the vomit. There are times that we all go back to the mud. But But the transformation, the sanctification, is that we're being freed from that. And the desire to go back to that is getting less and less and less. And it's all for the glory of God. I can't do that on my own. It's the power, the presence of God in me, the Spirit of God in me and in you that leads us to those places. So as we close today, we've looked at false teachers. I trust that as we looked at this, that you've embraced some things that are gonna help you grow stronger, help you stand firmer, help you to move forward in your faith. And against these Remember how you were formed. You were created by God. When you're in Christ, you have been reborn, birthed again into the kingdom of God. Remember how you were formed. And then secondly, understand that we are slaves. Now again, the slave doesn't have power to free himself, but God gives us the power. So when you find yourself in slavery to something that is mastering you that God does not want to master you, surrender to the master. Surrender to God. Understand that he is desiring for you to be a slave to righteousness. And from that, that being a slave to righteousness, you find life and life abundant. And then finally, embrace this life-giving faith. Don't let it be a prayer that you prayed at some point and then you're resting in that prayer for the rest of your life. Embrace a life-giving faith.
today. Embrace this faith, what God has given you, this gift of faith. Walk in it, move forward in it. Know that whatever you have today in God, he has more for you tomorrow. And like when we look at sin, again, there's this draw of more. Like it's just not satisfying, I need more. It's that diminishing returns. In God, it's so different. Yeah, I want more, but because it's so good, because it's so freeing, because the freedom that I've found is a taste of the freedom that he has, because of the presence and the power and the love of God that I'm experiencing, there is more that I desire. I am fully satisfied and I'm hungry for more because he is so good and he is available to each and every one of us. So today, let this Mother's Day be a day where you are moving forward in your faith. Um, Don't let it be a day like my Pizza Hut 40-some years ago where I look back and realize I just pointed outward and didn't even see in me. But let it be a day where you looked at some false teachers and learned and embraced and stepped forward in things that are changing your life, that are moving you forward in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, for your goodness and for your faithfulness, for your love. God, we again thank you for your word and the power of your word. And God, I pray, Lord, anything of truth, Lord, that, um, that you have spoken that is to, to impact us specifically in a certain way, God, I pray that you would help us to be yielded, help us not to be afraid, help us not to, uh, to cower back, but to step forward in you. God, in you, in the truth of your word, in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, lead us closer and deeper to you. And God, our desire is that you would be seen more and more in our lives. God, we want to be living forward for you. Uh, So God, we thank you that as we pray these prayers, they're in agreement with your word and with your heart. Uh, So God, seal these things by the power of your spirit. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? And we're going to sing the closing song of Reign Above It All. And and as we sing this, we're declaring that, that Jesus, he reigns above it all and There's an opportunity for you to surrender afresh and say, Jesus, reign above all in me. Allow his power and his life to reign supreme in you.